Oh, no. What is that? Oh, my. <laughs> it feels like a bad choice. We should have warned you first. My fears have become reality, though. Yeah, what is this a is... waste? Oh, gosh, I clicked over to the plumbus tab again. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to Things I Got Wrong, your general trivia podcast with a healthy dose of internet media things. I'm Ryan Bott. I'm Rachel Miller. I'm Stuart Hopkins. And today we are super excited to have on uh, enough of our easy peasy trivia. Uh, we brought on some real competition. So from the Geek Bracket podcast, uh, welcome JP. Hey, how's it going, y'all? It's Doing going good. awesome. Really excited to have you on. Yeah, it is great to uh, be on with y'all. I've really been enjoyed catching up on the back catalog of your show and really enjoyed listening to all y'all's episodes. Thank you. I was going to say, if nothing else, JP probably has the best uh, Twitter meme reactions to any of our stuff that goes on. <laughs> so that's well appreciated. But uh, Stu, you're just talking about listening to some of it. It was just like <laughs> the I'm feeling nervous. of the competition bearer. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am so nervous. I caught your latest episode and like, I don't know. I got maybe three right total. Like I got the last <laughs> question right, but the rest of it, it was just a blank. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a little concerned here. We're probably going to get blown out of the water. <laughs> I mean, like I I am used to writing for different groups from having done trivia before actually jumping into yeah. doing my own show. So like I listened to a lot of the back catalog, figured out about where I thought uh, writing the difficulty would be, and. We'll see how poorly I did in a little bit. <laughs> well, no I'm going to, I can say that I enjoy having someone here who does difficult trivia <laughs> because I am terrible at judging how hard my rounds are. And so <laughs> I am very excited about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool though. We were, we were just talking about like some of our, I guess, kind of our, um, inspiration for different trivia and you had mentioned a few i know early on probably one of the biggest ones that i i really love trivia wise was uh called good job brain mm. which is a little bit more off not just pure like drill down trivia a little bit more like kind of fun i think this show probably takes a, a lot more cues than even i i realized at the time from from that and then obviously like we've been doing me and rachel at least have been doing pub trivia for years now and i've been doing stuff since you know i was a kid um but yeah you were also talking about like wait wait don't tell me and some other ones yeah i definitely like drew a lot of inspiration for my show from the different shows that i was listening to uh, my introduction to podcast trivia was wait wait don't tell me in the car on npr before i even knew podcasts were a thing <laughs> then i started diving further than that with trivial warfare and triviality and misinformation and just yep. the entire trivia escape that's out there is just so wide and so vast if you have niche interest and niche interest in specific types of trivia it's out there for you and I guess I could swing into a quick introduction of my show. Um, yeah, my please show, do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, my show is called The Geek Bracket. It is a five-round trivia podcast that focuses on geeky topics. So we're not doing history. We're not doing a lot of science and math. We're not doing a lot of geography. We're focusing more on pop culture stuff. So we've got TV, uh, theater stuff, music, gaming, literature, uh, sports and music as being the main focuses of the game. And it's actually being run as a year-long tournament. And by the time this episode comes out, we only have two episodes that are left before we get to the year-end grand 
final that's going to be happening in December. So if you want to catch up on the show, see how the formats evolved a little bit over time and test your metal on some geeky information, uh, now would be a great time to do so. And I would love to see what people think of the show. Yeah, definitely Absolutely. jump in. It's it's such a cool format to see it go like withstand an entire bracket. Like, did you know early on that you were going to have uh, whatever it is, so many people and they were going to stretch the gamut or like how, how did it come to the finals approaching? OK, so when I started the show, I totally knew that I'd have like 50 people sign up for the show from out of nowhere, <laughs> having like zero media presence whatsoever, Instant success, as we all do. Instant success. I mean, like that's how that's how like media works. Like you put stuff on the Internet and people flock to it. Right. That's right. how it works. Yeah. Like that's how it worked for me. <laughs> no, good Lord. No, uh, no. When I started it up, I had like 10 initial contestants that were interested. And I'm just like, OK. I can get this off the ground for two months because uh, I only started up basically back in February before the gestures wildly at everything happened. <laughs> um, and honestly, that ended up being a bit of a bright light for me because um, normally I travel a lot for work. I work as a tournament organizer for a large company based here uh, in Roanoke, Virginia. And normally I would be traveling every weekend, every other weekend out of the year for work. Not being on the road has let me focus on this. And along with that, a lot of the people who I would be seeing on the road were like, hey, I've now got time open. Do you have a spot on your show? And so I've been able to use that to organically grow the show. And then from there, I got like capital R real, capital T trivia, <laughs> capital P people on the show. <laughs> there was like... I don't know if she will actually hear this or not, but I actually had to clutch my pearls a little bit because I had um, a contestant on the show a couple months ago who was a finalist on this year's edition of Mastermind in the UK. No and, way. Yeah, no. Uh, Emma oh. Laslett. Yeah, Emma Laslett came on the show and uh, I don't know how she found out about out the show, but she applied <laughs> to be on the show and I was just like, there's anyone I'm making time to get on the show. It is going to be someone who is a finalist on Bloody Mastermind of the UK. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's awesome. I got to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it, her episode is a great episode as well. If you want to check out that one, I believe that one's called I um, Historically Know Very Little About Football. If you want to jump into that one in the back catalog. <laughs> yes. um, that also refers to Stu and I. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, definitely check it out, especially, yeah, gearing up towards the finals. Uh, it's a great time to jump into that. Um, also, real quick, I kind of want to give a, a random shout out to um, totally random. And I it is uh, the Charlotte Podcast Festival, which has been going on by the time you're listening. This is it's wrapped up, but uh, they are uh, a podcast festival. But because of COVID and everything else did four weeks and i unfortunately only caught the first wow. two they did four weeks of virtually daily um sessions and happy hours and all sorts of stuff and i've been able to be a part of a few of them uh really really cool stuff if you're interested in podcast like they're they're not sponsored they're just rad and like they did a whole month-long thing all the keynotes are completely free to attend um it was like donation based um they're a part of charlotte's I forget the radio code. I think it's WFAE. Um, they're NPR affiliate, essentially. Uh, so there's some really cool stuff going on there. And uh, they've had everything from like 
legal steps to take to getting your first downloads, to getting started, to podcasting 101, to reaching new audiences, like anything if you're interested in that. It's, it was, it's been a really cool thing and their happy hours have been really cool to talk to people who have been doing it for a few years who are trying it for the first time. Um, so if you're listening to this, you should be able to, by this time, hear all of the past keynotes if that's anything you're interested in. And then uh, this time next year, uh, they should be doing it again and uh, probably will shout them out again because it's it's been a really awesome and well-run organization, uh, all remote, all through Zoom and everything else. Uh, really cool stuff. So just kind of wanted to shout it out. That's awesome. I didn't even know that was going on. Yeah. Either did I. I'm going to have to dive into a couple of those keynotes later. Yeah, that's excellent. Stuff. Ryan's uh, been doing the happy hours nearly every day so, and says they're great every time. Um, yeah, there's been a well. weekly happy hour and then a handful of keynotes along the way. And uh, pretty much everything has been spot on and really cool to listen to. If you're even just interested in the community or in radio or marketing, but especially if you're like trying to get your own podcast up and running or are trying to pick up new stuff, uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, we'll put links and stuff, but Charlotte Podcast Festival has been, has been really awesome. Um, but cool. yeah, so uh, let's get to some trivia now. Uh, we'll get started. This is the 55th ever episode, and uh, this will be a round-robin game where all four of us are bringing around a trivia for the other three to answer. And uh, Stu, Woo! we will start with you. Alrighty, yes. Uh, my round is on classic cartoons. Ooh. Uh, and so this is a standard round of trivia. Um, you know, I'll give two hints. Uh, if you get it on the first one, that's two points. If you get it on the second, that is one point. Um, you know, buzz in after the question's been said and uh, we'll go from there sounds good question number one boasting a classically animated style hand drawn on paper with a team of 11 artists what game was released in 2017 taking the run and gun genre JP. by storm jp that is cuphead that is cuphead that's correct cuphead. uh two points to jp yeah the game is notoriously difficult and showcases a old-timey feel to both its animations and narration Good Such lord. Game. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I watched, uh, I want to say uh, the Mexican runner ran it at GDQ yeah. a couple years ago, and that run was amazing. Mind blowing. I love speedrunning too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to dive into that sometime. <laughs> Alrighty, question number two Yogi Bear, The Flintstones, Tom and Jerry, and even Scooby Doo are all classic Hanna Barbera cartoons that we know and love. But after being acquired by Cartoon Network in 1991, some assets from lesser-known shows were repurposed to create something crass and new. What show kicked off the debut of Adult Swim and was considered the first original programming of Cartoon JP. Network? Oh, man. Uh, JP. Space Goes Coast to Coast? That is correct, yes. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> if that was it. Uh, well. I, I almost said Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. I'm just like, no, that was a spinoff. That ended up having original animation in it at some point. At some point, yes. But it was, it, right, but it was one of the original, like, three, pretty much. Yes, that would be uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, the first original such. programming of Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. That was such a fun show. I, I didn't oh my know God. that. It's, I didn't know it was the first. I would have thought it was earlier still, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess it, like, it did come out before cartoon or before adult swim was a thing um but like okay. it was so settled seldomly aired or and everything that they eventually were like okay we're gonna put it in its own bracket we're gonna make a thing around it now um and then they started releasing more episodes with it and stuff nice yeah I, the uh, the history of adult swim is fascinating to me for some <laughs> reason Alrighty, two points to jp and question number three this film was released in 1988 
and it was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. With a budget of $70 million, it featured over 100 cameos and is widely regarded as a huge step forward for the animation industry. 88? Yeah, this film was released in 1988 uh, with a budget of $70 million. It was featured, it featured over 100 cameos Ryan. and is regarded as a huge step forward for the animation industry. Ryan. Oh, man. I don't remember the years. I'll say Beauty and the Beast, but... It is not right. Beauty and the Beast. JP. Uh, who Framed Roger Rabbit? It is Who Framed Roger oh. Rabbit. That's yeah, right. that, the only way I got there was through the cameos. I, 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 yeah. I figured, yeah, it was kind of a tougher question, but I can't... Like it gives there's so many things about it that would just give it away. Um, so I had mm-hmm. to kind of keep it a little vague there. Yeah. Um, fun fact about it a key phrase in the animation industry is called bumping the lamp, uh, which regards to a scene in the movie where Roger Rabbit bumps a lamp and they had to animate every cell um, in the drawing to show the lighting go through his ears and around the room. And it's it, they didn't have to do it, but they did. And so it's meaning like you take it up a step, you bump the lamp. Mile. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, that's another one I thought would have been way earlier. I know. I thought mm-hmm. that that was like early '80s, late '70s, almost. But yeah, I guess late '80s. Yeah, I want to say a lot of the late release on that was like contract negotiations between Warner Brothers and Disney that held that up um, as far as like the production of the movie itself for as long as it did. Yeah, so those um, things will go on for years. Cool girl, yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so that was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and that is two points to JP. Question number four. With a famous giggle and his high-energy antics, Woody Woodpecker was a fairly known icon. His species is an acorn woodpecker. Name the two countries where acorn woodpeckers live. Rachel. Rachel. Um, Canada and the United States. Um, I will actually give that to you because it's like a little bit in Canada. It's mostly the United States and Mexico, but there is a portion of... Uh, of Canada that they do live and nest in. There, there was one, um, just kind of a childhood story. There was an, I believe we, it was an acorn woodpecker that landed on my neighbor's roof many years ago, and they had like a um, metal siding on their chimney, and it just banged on it. And it was like somebody <laughs> banging a metal drum. It was so loud, even though it was across the street. It's like somebody banging a metal drum next to your ear. <laughs> and it just went on and on. I don't think it got hurt. I think it just just doing its thing. <laughs> Lord. They're weird. Like, I, let's bang my face into this thing until I get food. Like, I just... <laughs> that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do, right? <laughs> I mean, it works uh, for toddlers, so... That's true. <laughs> uh, that was Woody Woodpecker for the two... Con- uh, I'm sorry... <laughs> <laughs> that was um, Canada and the United States of America for the two countries countries of origin of the uh, acorn wood. What do you? Wow, uh, words are hard, man. Words are hard. Uh, Woody Woodpecker of Wood- Canada bringing it home. The question not about, ingrained yet. Two yeah, points. Ingrained yet. Yeah, two points to the acorn. <laughs> half past the Canadian woodpecker. <laughs> yes. For so the acorn. For the acorn. For the, for the acorn. Nice, nice to know the acorns made it out of the fort. I haven't, apparently, but the acorn has. So. No, you can go with them. <laughs> oh, yay. Following the acorn. Following the acorn. That is Ooh, uh, a piece of acorn. He's <laughs> <laughs> acorn, right? <laughs> that is two points to Rachel. And we'll move on to question number five. This Honeymooners-inspired show 
was the first animated show to depict a man and woman sleeping in the Ryan. same bed. Ryan. Um, this is the Flintstones. It is the Flintstones. Yeah. That's right. Um, I guess before that, they, there was no animation of a man and woman sleeping in the same bed. Um, it was the first one, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> well, for many, many years, it would be very odd for couples to like, stay in the same bed. So. I guess so, yeah. And especially depicted on television. You know, that was, yeah. uh, I think, was it? No, it was the Dick Van Dyke show that had like the first woman wearing pants on the show. Um, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what the first show that had. Scandalous. Right. Um, that had the same couple in a bed. I can't remember that, but. I want to say Lucy, I Love Lucy was the first one to have a toilet in a frame or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might have been true. It's crazy. Those promiscuous Flintstones. Man, <laughs> tell you. <laughs> that was the Flintstones and two points to Ryan. Question number six, and the final question of the round. Norville Rogers owns a very unique dog who can talk. What is the name of his dog, and what kind of, what breed of dog is it? Ryan. Ryan. So I definitely know Norville Rogers, so his dog is a pup named Scooby-Doo. That's right. Uh, I do not know the breed. I don't know dog breeds. Hi, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say Great JP. Dane. But... It actually is a Great Dane. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> nice guess. I, I... I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't get it. I hope he doesn't get it. Because that's the only, like, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't remember Norville Rogers. It was like ringing little bells. We've but had I couldn't Norville make the before. connection. But I'm like, I know Scooby-Doo is a great Dane. Yeah. She would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for those mangling <laughs> trivia contestants. <laughs> if it wasn't for those acorns. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get ya. They'll get ya. <laughs> nice work. Uh, that is two points to Ryan. And that was Scooby-Doo uh, is a great Dane. Uh, that ends the that ends my round. Um, Ryan, what are the scores looking like? Nice job, that was fun. Uh, the scores are Rachel with two points, myself with four points, JP with six points. Still hanging in there. It, it can't technically <laughs> be holding down the fort if you went first. But no, that's okay. I like holding down the fort. Though. We that's have catchphrases for a reason here. <laughs> uh, Rachel, it is your round. Oh boy! So. I have a very characteristic, characteristically hard round, so I hope you guys enjoy. So if you have listened to our show a bit, you'll likely have picked up on my fascination on th of things that are very specific to a country, such as food, which I've done a couple times. So this round kind of follows in the same vein. I'm going to give you a clue or a series of clues, and then I need you to tell me the name of a national dress or cloth from a country. So, if I say this type of Western wear is common in the United States as, a, as headwear, you would re respond, it's a cowboy hat. Cowboy oh, hat. I was going to say the knit beanie from the Pacific Northwest, but yeah, <laughs> cowboy hats get there too. <laughs> That's also correct, see? <laughs> so, um, most of these have a few um, clues that I'm going to say in quick succession. I will let you know when the question is over, because there might be a couple sentences. Cool. Sounds good. Question number one. Scotland's national cloth is one of the most well-known. Each pattern represents a family or clan. The distinctions are so important that many claim that etiquette controls when and who may wear certain patterns. It is often used as the base for the iconic kilt or plaid. I actually Ooh. heard Stu first. I actually heard a lot of us together. But I yeah. know. Is this one oh, where so we let's do, a, let's do a round. 
everyone. All right. So everyone will give an answer, and um, those who get it right will get two points because I'm feeling very friendly. Everyone lock in an answer. All right. I'm locked. So from left to left to right on my screen are Stu, JP, and Ryan. So Stu, go ahead. Uh, is this well a pattern? Is this hound's tooth? It is well, not. No. Okay. Uh, go ahead, JP. I have locked in tartan. That is correct. Oh, Two points to JP. That is right. I wrote down Argyle. Okay. <laughs> so, um, nice. yeah, so what we're looking for is really the cloth itself. Okay. Yeah. So while the pattern can vary, it can look like a standard plaid. I think it might be really even have both like an Argyle or a houndstooth pattern, but I haven't done the research. So anyone who's Scottish, please don't get mad at me. It is the cloth itself. Yep. But the most iconic pattern would be the plaid. Nice. What is, how do you wear a tartan? So tartan is the cloth. Yeah, Rachel's right. It's the type of cloth that that plaid is made out of. The only reason why oh, I know it okay, is called okay. a tartan is because one of the high schools in our area, the mascot was the tartans, and it wore <laughs> a bloody kilt for every single football game. So I know what that girl's wearing. Exactly. So a kilt is um, the fabric a kilt is made out of is like it refers to like the pattern of the tartan. Okay, if got that it. Makes sense. Yeah, I think now you that can makes time sense. travel okay. while wearing a tartan as well, right? <laughs> is that how Doctor Who works? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, less. you just throw a kilt on and just jump through the fabric of space time. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the Argentinian national dress finds its origins with the cowboy esque same named people or similarly named people in Spanish whose origins are thought to be in the 18th century and who have gained fame as national symbols of legend and folklore, which have risen, risen to the level of cultural icons. This dress is characterized by a wide-brimmed hat, poncho, greatcoat, facade knife, and rebenk whip. And so I'm looking for the national dress. And dress, I mean, like, outfit. Um, JP. Go ahead, JP. Gaucho? That is correct. Oh, JP. <laughs> So gauchos are, um, were the best way we can describe them in English would be kind of as a cowboy or horseman who, um, kind of worked as ranchers and as people who worked heavily with horses in Argentinian, Chile, Peru, I believe as well, regions of South America and have kind of gained the same level of folklore and notoriety that we in the United States kind of associate with cowboys of the old West. Cool. So... Question number three actually comes out of something that I learned while I was visiting, um, but I think you guys might find interesting, because one of the things that I enjoy about my trivia questions, it's a way for me to share what I find interesting about the world with everyone, so I do questions loaded with fact because I think they're cool. <laughs> so, question number three. The Javanese people of Indonesia have long used this type of dress, which consists of a large piece of cloth wrapped multiple times around the body and then secured with another strip of cloth or tucked into itself. These days, those who are unaware of its origins often associate it as an item to be used at the beach to cover up a swimsuit. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Is this a sari? S-A-R-I? Okay. No, a sari is a um, type of outfit that I believe has its origins in India. That, okay. <laughs> Sorry for trying. <laughs> Any other guesses? JP. Go ahead, JP. I think Ryan was on the right, right line, but just took a wrong turn. I believe this is called a sarong. 
That is correct. Oh. <laughs> so sarongs now, um, if you don't know the origins, are associated with just basically being a very big piece of fabric that you use um, to cover up at the beach. Um, however, for example, in February, before everything um, locked down, I was, I was in Bali. And to actually go into like the temples there, or some of the temples, it's considered respectful, if not required, to actually put one on. Cool. That was a much better answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was a difference in being a little bit wrong. Right. <laughs> Sorry for being so wrong. <laughs> for the record, I am thoroughly enjoying having someone here who's really good at my hard questions. Because it encourages me to write disproportionately hard rounds. My fears um, have become reality, though. <laughs> <This> is- <laughs> Like, as mentioned on the website, thingsthatgotwrong.com, I have been second-guessing my own answers since I was seven. (laughs) And that's not a lie, so... Hey, question number four. A little bit short and sweet. Either you know it or you don't. The Korean formal traditional wear is generally composed of 13 different items, is brightly colored, and is often crafted with fine materials, such as silk. Um... I can like picture what these outfits are in my head. I have no idea what they're called. <laughs> it's it's the thing that's killing me is there were back-to-back seasons of Drag Race that Korean queens <laughs> came on in these outfits. And I was even like, that one looks better than the one that was in the previous season. And in my head, I'm just like, what the heck was it called? Um, the the best part about these is when you hear them, you're gonna be it's gonna be like a little light bulb goes straight on. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go mm-hmm. straight through my glass desk that's in front of me as soon as I hear <laughs> what this answer is. Oh well, I have nothing. Okay, so the answer is a handbok. Hanbok, handbok. Uh, Please, anyone. I'm doing my best with ling- these languages, but I do not speak them. <laughs> okay, question nice. number five. Another one, a bit long. Um, but I'll let you know when it's done. The national dress of Greenland has been incorporated into the English language to generally refer to, as defined as di- by dictionary.com, as a fur coat, shirt-like and hooded, for wear in the Arctic and other regions of extreme cold, a hip-length jacket or overshirt with an attached hood, often of wool or, or of a windproof water-repellent material lined or trimmed with wool, Used by skiers, hunters, the military, etc., or any coat or jacket with a hood as hooded uh, as a hooded raincoat or windbreaker. Right. Tell me what that is. Oh, okay. Actually, so I couldn't I couldn't tell at first if I was just hearing Ryan and Stu. So I'm going to do a round robin. Okay. All right. So, um, Stu, go ahead. Okay. Parka. That is correct. Two points to Stu. Sweet. JP? Uh, I also had Parka. Same. That is correct. Two points, JP. Yep. Ryan, you as well? Yep. This was actually the most fascinating thing that I learned in my research. I didn't know that was the national dresser that it originated in Greenland. According to my research, it is, which is very interesting. Although, if anyone from Greenland is listening and I'm incorrect, please do correct me. Please write in. That would be awesome. (laughs) You're right, exactly. That'd be super cool. Let's go Danes. Question number six is going to be a little different. So for question number six, I'm going to need you to name one of three potential countries. It's pretty hard, um, but I think you guys could potentially do it. 
So, question number six. Suzani is the traditional type of cloth that is identifiable by intricate needlework and bright colors featuring design of native flowers, anima, animals, and nature themes. Well, originating in the desert areas of Central Asia, it is now found in homes across the world. Name one of the three countries where it primarily finds its origins. I'm going to take a shot in the dark. Okay, go ahead, Stu. Malaysia? Not Malaysia. Okay. The Central Asia part is kind yeah. of throwing off. I want to say something that's on a different continent, and it feels like a bad <laughs> choice. Well, I'm going to say that's a bad choice. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't think I, that's giving you a hint by I'll, telling you that's a bad choice. I'll, I'll go ahead and take my stab for the sake of stabbing Iran. Iran is not correct. Ah, dang. Ryan, would you like to guess? Uh, uh, um, uh, Turkey. I don't know. You're actually the closest hey. of the three, mm. I think. I think. I'd have to pull out a map. Nobody judge me. Um, was Kazakhstan one of the right answers? Kazakhstan was one of the right Dang answers. Yes. So we are in ah, Central was, Asia. We was are Afghanistan? Uzbekistan. That's, that's what no. I was going to ask. Okay. Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kazakhstan. Yeah, the three lesser known stands. And they're they're three very large countries mm-hmm. spanning the central, which I think that Turkey is closer. Maybe Iran is. Don't have a map uh, in front I, of me. Iran is probably closer. Well, one's south and one's and but and one's west. We've also <laughs> so. had our differences in map making before when it comes to trivia, so I yeah. don't think you think you forgot where Iowa was. <laughs> <laughs> You're laying them all out. There's a lot going on. When you, you mentioned. <laughs> okay, so that is my round. Ryan, where do we stand with scores? All right. I have Stu with one foot out of the fort at two, Rachel with four, myself with stick, six, and JP with 12. Well. Nice. <laughs> He's going off. Uh, and uh, hopefully we get a, a second to catch up because it'll be a JP's round whenever you're ready. All right. So I've been spending a lot of my time not just working on trivia these past few months, but I've been spending an inordinate amount of money on Kickstarter recently. Ooh. And uh, because I believe we should all be supporting independent creators, please take the time to check out Kickstarter to see what is on there and make your way to people's Patreons to support your own small local creators. That soapbox kicked out from under my feet. Let's talk about some <laughs> Kickstarters that actually killed it on the platform. I am going to be describing for you six Kickstarters that place somewhere in the top 20 all time on the platform. Uh, There are two hints here. So if you get it on the first hint, it's worth two points. Get it on the second hint, and it is worth one point. Everybody ready to go? Ready. All right, let's kill it. Question number one. And not all of the clues will start with telling you about Kickstarter. Question one. <laughs> what long-running television show is responsible for the earworms Let's Have a Patrick Swayze Christmas and Every Country Has a Monster? I actually don't remember this. I'm, I'll, I'll guess, Ryan. Um, okay, Ryan, go ahead. Just because I, I remember, I think, crowdfunding. Is this Veronica Mars? This is not Veronica okay. Mars. Ready for the second hint? Yes. All right. 
Second hint, the show concluded its 30th year of production in 2018 and transferred from being a Comedy Central mainstay to Netflix with co-host Robots intact after a successful Kickstarter in 2015. And oh. that is three zero. Ryan. Ryan. Is, is this the soup? This is not the soup. Dang it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If no one has any other guesses. I don't think so. Oh, my. All Rachel? right. Rachel, go ahead. I'm just going to put it out there because I don't know how long this has been around. Is it Robot Chicken? It is not Robot Chicken. Okay. I believe that's still running on uh, Adult Swim, if memory serves. I I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Over to Netflix. That's what I'm right. And what show ran for 30 years? There's only a handful. Seasons. So I'm guessing, I'm I'm assuming it's not uh, animated. I'm guessing it's like live action-y or or something almost news-based, but I I don't have nothing. All right. The robots might have helped you a little bit. Uh, They are the robots Crow and Tom Servo of the long-running series Mystery Science Theater 3000. Jesus. Yeah, I couldn't name the robots in there. That's a little too easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that bomb out of the way, let's go to question number two. (laughs) The most successful music Kickstarter was the 40th anniversary production of a record Originally produced in 1977 by what group? Oh, man. Got like five to seven different names <laughs> running through my head. 40th anniversary, 77. So they were like remastering it? Is that what it was? Yes. It okay, was a cool. re-release and a remaster. Okay, gotcha. Actually, um, I'm not going to say it was a re-release. It might have just been a release. Oh. I, I don't don't quote me on that because I don't actually know exactly if this was a re-release or a release. Yeah, it just seems crazy to think of a, a huge band that would be from that long ago, That's right? But on what? Kickstarter, the Abba Eagles, they were all big then. Um, other people who were getting started then, um, Fleetwood Mac was getting started. Um, I'll guess. I was. I'll only guess because I actually wrote it down before Rachel said it. But is it the Eagles? It is not the Eagles. Okay. It's so hard because it's like, I know all these big bands, but I'm like, these people don't probably don't need a Kickstarter to do it. That's also the thing. Right. Uh, Stu? 40th anniversary. Oh, go ahead, Stu. Stu, Sorry. go ahead. Jimi Hendrix? Not Hendrix. Okay. I'm trying to think of like albums that had like hidden or like unused mm-hmm. content, right? Like what artists would have recorded something and withheld it and then yeah. they compiled it onto something. And right. It. Uh, Rachel, you want to give a guess before I go to the second clue? Yeah, um, I think mine is a little out of line of the other two, but I also know they had a 40th anniversary in like the last five years album. I think the the, the original the cast of Les Mis, the Broadway mm-hmm. cast of Les Mis did a re did a rethink of their 40th thing recently. But yeah, I, I believe that's right. This is not the re-release of uh, any anniversary recording of Les Mis, though. Okay. All right. So second clue, the trash. Wow, words. Words tonight, girl. (laughs) (laughs) The track list includes, but is not limited to, Bach's Brandenburg Concerto, Whale Sounds, and Greetings in over 55 languages. This -this out-of-this-world collaboration was cast on a gold vinyl and was originally produced not by a band, 
but a government agency. <laughs> that just leaves me with I, more questions. I don't know I, I the know name this. of... Right, I can tell you what it is, but I don't this know is, what the name of it is. Uh, I don't need the name, I just need the name of the group that released it. I'm not going to know that then. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll let other people take a guess, and then I'll, I'll take a guess. I have nothing. If you can vaguely draw it. <laughs> I, I will overemphasize something, hopefully, as a hint. This out-of-this-world right. collaboration. Rachel. Rachel. NASA. This is NASA. Oh. That's what I was I couldn't right, remember. Yeah. We talk about this stuff in the work that I do. And, oh. Yeah, this like, is the... Remember. Yeah, this, this is, is the 40th cool. anniversary of the Voyager record that they recorded right. and sent out on the Voyager probe. Nice. Oh, okay. interesting. Okay. All right. So, that yes, so that uh, re-release record on gold vinyl was by NASA, and that is 1.2 Rachel. Nice job. Nice. Question number three. What real play D&D 5e web series began life as an extension of the offerings of Geek and Sundry in 2015 before spinning off into their own studios in 2018? Um, Rachel. Rachel. Um, Critical Role. Their Kickstarter, The Legend of Vox Machina Animated Special, is currently the most funded media Kickstarter on the platform. It is Critical Role. I love D&D podcasts. (laughs) That is one, surprisingly enough, I haven't actually uh, started listening to. It's on my bucket list to just, like, cram as many seasons of that whenever I get a chance. Was the Kickstarter just for for the, the... What were they going to do? Like an animation TV series? Okay. Yeah, the Kickstarter was just... one episode. Yeah, it was just to do one episode, and then the Kickstarter did well enough that Amazon picked it up, and they're producing, I believe, like an eight-episode season on Amazon Prime. Whoa. Nice. Yeah. Cool. um, I like them. My my one thing is that it was very hard to follow without the video. Mm -hmm. On Critical World, there's a lot of people... And it was doing, um, I think, the best podcast for not, not that it's bad at all. I just I just need the video to kind of follow mm-hmm. it, at least in the beginning. Yeah, because um, yeah, there's, there's like six was, or eight or ten characters constantly on there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's that's a lot of similar voices. Matt Mercer, yeah, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's best with the, the live, the Twitch feed or the live feed. Nadpod, yeah. though. That one. <laughs> Very good. Audio. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, let me know when you when you dive into it, JP, because I'll do it too, because I haven't done it yet. Um, and it's also on my <laughs> list of like, I know I got to do this. Ryan and Rachel tried to get me into it a while ago. I couldn't do it at the time. So when you do it, I'll do it too. <laughs> All right, I, I will drop that on my Twitter feed whenever I do start diving into Critical Role, which again, Legend of Vox Machina animated special was by Critical Role. That is two points to Rachel. Nice. Moving on to question four. The second most successful Kickstarter is what item featuring such features as a USB charger, Bluetooth speakers, and a bottle opener? This is going to be some kind of like Roomba or something random. (laughs) (laughs) What were the the, USB charger, Bluetooth speakers? USB charger, Bluetooth speakers, and a bottle opener. Rachel. Rachel. Is the iHome? It is not the iHome. Although cracking a cold one on an iHome sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if Apple needs Kickstarter, but (laughs) yeah. I have another guess, but if everyone else wants to go first. 
is this, <laughs> I don't know if this was actually a thing or not. Is this a plumbus? Did like, did somebody decide to make a plumbus and they just put these features in it? I don't know what a plumbus is. It's Give me a second to Google it's this. A, it's oh. a stupid, oh, it's a stupid, no. right, it's what like an undescribable that? thing. Oh my. <laughs> but that's why I was like, well, no. what would have these No, it's not features? that. Oh, why did I Google that? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, we you first. <laughs> uh, no, it's not whatever the heck that was. <laughs> I'm Mr. Me Seeks. Look at me. And like, you. Sorry. Oh, bless. Uh, Ryan, do you have a guess before I go on to the uh, next clue? Uh, not any better than that. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll go with the second clue. Along with its extra-wide rolling wheeler, wheels, built-in blender, and retro orange exterior, I'd say the item would help out with a pretty chill time, although that seems a bit on the nose. Rachel. Rachel. Yeti? Uh, I will go ahead and give it to you. It is a cooler, specifically. Ah. It is a non-branded cooler. Uh, specifically, it's called The Coolest Cooler. And you can't actually buy them because the company went bankrupt. Oh, man. Oh, oh my gosh. They tried so hard to get those extra bottle cap openers out. Oh, yeah. The thing is, is like if you actually go because you can actually like go on Kickstarter and search by like most funded projects mm -hmm. and it looks so cool. Like the design of this thing is cool. The prototype that they post that they have posted on the Kickstarter is so cool. And then you research the company and you're like, what did you do with all of this money? You could have just gone to production. Oh, man. Money. But money. Money, but money right? I know. Every <laughs> Kickstarter I remember took like at least another year to get out. Mm -hmm. At best. I haven't, I don't think I've ever donated to some that fell apart completely, but uh, I, I know it's. I know it's <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I definitely have as well. I'm, I am still waiting on a young adult novel that I kickstarted in 2012 to come out, and supposedly it's with the publishers now. And I don't believe this person at all. I'm still waiting on my glow in the dark plants uh, from 2012 Ooh. as well. Actually, <laughs> are they trying to invent that? They well, they splice the genes. Um, wow. So they found bioluminescent genes, and they were splicing it into the plants. And so it was supposed to be like, hey, you could, you know, they would give you, they'd send you one of these, or they'd send you the seeds, and it was basically like the equivalent of a nightlight in a plant. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard of. And they got it, but the cost of production was so astronomically high that they were like, hey, we can either refund you your money, or you can like hope that you get one eventually. Wow. That is the most stew kickstart I've ever heard of. I was so excited about it. I was so excited about it. But a nightlight Monstera would be pretty sweet. Yep. <laughs> also the coolest is a portable party disguised as a cooler that raised 13 million dollars 13 million 13 yeah that's 13 with an m at the end of it for a party you can't do during covid absolutely <laughs> but again that is the coolest cooler and that is one point going to rachel swing over to question five what author, a member of the Latter-day Saints fiction movement, along with Stephanie Meyer and Orson Scott Card, had the most successful Kickstarter for books on the platform? I know this, and I can't think of it. I know this. I actually know this fact. Orson Scott Card is one of the weirder authors that I can think of off the top of my head. Is that Ender's Game? Uh, yeah. Yep, that's the author of Ender's Game. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What's the video game one, Ryan? 
Ready Player One by Ernie Klein. Is that your I, guess, or can I take it? <laughs> you can take it. I don't remember it being a Kickstarter, so go for it. That's my guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's not whatever Ryan okay. just said. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> um, I have nothing. Nothing from Ryan. Do you have anything before we get to Clue 2? No, I need to read more. <laughs> All right. The Kickstarter was for a deluxe release of his book, The Way of Kings. Oh, right. Which, Ryan. Uh, Rachel. Brandon Sanderson. You can't just sit there and try to think of it. That's unfair. <laughs> Come on. You Sorry. didn't have it when you called in. I, you had to sit there and think of it. I did. <laughs> if you recall, this show brings up one author in particular, and that is a very similar but different Patrick Rothfuss. So my yeah. mind went Who's white not with 7,000 topics about, <laughs> I just had to regurgitate it. We have, yeah, I have I, Wave Kings. Yeah, it, it is um, his re-release for the 10th anniversary as a deluxe edition, and it is Brandon Sanderson for one point there. And after I heard you all talking about Brandon Sanderson a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this fits too well. I have to put this question in. <laughs> that The 10th anniversary thing, that's this year, right? Yeah, that Kickstarter just wrapped this yeah. year, and I want to say it's like somewhere like floating in top 10, 12, top 12 territory. Yeah, I didn't participate, but it is beautiful oh my gosh huge maps huge like leather bound amazing looking books like such a good series and the entire uh the kickstarter video had the two audiobook authors which just Mm -hmm. have the best voices both of them all right again that is brandon sanderson for 1.2 ryan and now we are on question six the only one that isn't a two-parter grab your pens and pencils this is a closest without going over question Board games have always found extended success on the Kickstarter platform, and none more so than the dungeon-crawling Euro that is Gloomhaven. Just wrote that down. It it and its sequel, Frosthaven, have combined to make publisher Cephala Fair Games the most successful board game Kickstarters of all time. To the nearest thousand dollars, how much money have Gloomhaven and Frosthaven across their three Kickstarters made combined on the platform. To give context, Frosthaven started with a base goal of $500,000. That goal was met. We need to give this in thousands? Uh, the nearest millions thousands. and thousands okay. as necessary. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And again, closest without going over. And just let me know when everyone's locked. Good. Ready. All right. Uh, we'll go alphabetical by first name. So we'll start with Rachel. Um, four million seven hundred and forty-two thousand. Four million seven hundred forty-two. Ryan. Uh, two point five million. Two point five to Ryan and Stu. Two million six hundred fifty thousand. Two million six hundred fifty. All right. <laughs> On paper. So. <laughs> Let's run down this by Kickstarter, shall we? The original Kickstarter for Gloomhaven raised $386,000. The second print of the original release of Gloomhaven raised $4 million. Oh my god. 
And the sequel, Frosthaven, is the most funded board game on the platform, raising, drumroll please, $12.97 million. Whoa. So your combined total across all three Kickstarters is $17,356,000, and that is two points going to Rachel. Yes. I knew there were three. I knew there were three. And, and so when you gave the 500 on the first one, I was like, okay, yep, yep. We're, yeah. we're big. And yeah, it's like when Frosthaven started, like, like on the first day, it cracked, like, one million. And then the number just kept churning and churning and churning. And it's just like, girl, when is this thing stopping? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played any of the sequels. Gloomhaven is awesome. And I really want to play, like, a full campaign of it. Yeah, I have a box downstairs. And it's, like, been cracked open. And, like, I've punched out the bits <laughs> that you could actually punch out. And I have not played a single game of the campaign on it yet. Oh, yeah. All right, well, that is my six. Let's get a quick score recap. All right, so the scores are Stu with one foot out of the fort with two, myself with seven, and it is 10 to 12. Rachel with 10, Ooh. JP with 12. Ooh. It is a close game. So I will have the fourth round, and uh, this is a brand new round. Uh, I fell in love with uh, what has kind hey. of... You say Rachel. with Rachel, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, second only to Rachel is uh, the newly launched Merriam-Webster's Time Travel Portal, which is a collection of all of the words that have appeared for the first time in print based on the year. So we're going to go back in time like this. to this the cool. year when words and terms were first used in print according to Merriam-Webster and their time travel portal. And uh, I'll have a link to this in the show notes. But I have six questions. And for each question, I will give you five terms that appeared in print for the very first time that year. Uh, we're going to go lightning round style. So I'm going to give you the five terms and then... You're going to jot down your answer, and we're going to go closest to, uh, over or under, doesn't matter, just closest to, you're going to give me a year. Is yeet one of the words? <laughs> uh, no, but funny enough, cooler Kickstarter is. Cooler oh, Kickstarter. <laughs> no, all right, so I'm going to give you five terms, and then you're going to jot down a year, and we're going to go lightning round style on it. Uh, question number one, the terms are... Cryptocurrency, gig economy, jegging, with a J, jegging, subtweet, anti-vaxxer. Cryptocurrency, gig economy, jegging, subtweet, anti-vaxxer. And just to confirm with yep. the time travel, it's when these words first appeared or when they started to be more regularly used? Uh, according to Merriam-Webster, when they first appeared in print, which if first there's anything... In print. Oh, in yeah. print. Um, I would venture to guess some of these may skew a hair earlier than you would think. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to throw you off with that. Cryptocurrency, gig economy, jegging, subtweet, anti-vaxxer. Uh, JP... 2009. Rachel? 2006. Stu? 2010. It is 2009 oh, on the dot. Nice work. <laughs> I had six, seven, and eight, and I crossed them all off. And I was like, no, 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 it's got to <laughs> yeah, be Yeah, I started on 14, and I was like, wait, print. Okay, cool. Yeah. We're going way earlier. <laughs> nice job. Nice. Two points to JP there. Question number two, Amber Alert, dot commer, 
Emoji. Generation Z. Wingsuit. Wingsuit? Really? <laughs> Those terms are amberalert.comer. Emoji. Generation Z. Wingsuit. Uh, we'll switch it up and we'll go to Rachel first. 1999. Stu. 2002. JP. 1996. Uh, the year is 1997. Jeez. Okay. Wow. JP wins by one year. Nice. <sighs> Uh, yeah, I didn't know what to make of Wingsuit. I thought X Games weirdness. I don't know. It just seemed like a cool, cool, rad 90s thing to get into. Yeah. yeah what is a Wingsuit? Oh, gosh. I clicked it's- over to the Plumbus tab again. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> don't need to know what a Wingsuit is if you've got the Plumbus. <laughs> I'm so sorry, JP. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, there's a Google search I don't need anymore. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, now I know what a wingsuit is. Uh. <laughs> You're also more acquainted with a plumbus. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, question number three. Bicycle shorts. Chemo prevention. Drum machine. IPO, super gravity, bicycle shorts, chemo prevention, drum machine, IPO, super gravity. I see a lot of confident looks. Uh, Stu. 1982. Okay, JP. 1981. Rachel. 1986. Uh, mm. You're all in the wrong decade. It oh. is... <laughs> 1976. Oh. Uh, so that is. I heard two- chemo prevention and I thought Chernobyl. That's a fair thought. Yeah. <laughs> my, is- my brain also went to nuclear energy. Yeah. That Super is- gravity sounded like an 80s thing. <laughs> <laughs> that true. That I thought too. drum machine and IPO might give it away a little bit, at least close to it. But uh, yeah. Drum machine got me early in the 80s. That's yeah. the closest it got me. Yeah. Uh, well, it worked out because it's two more points for JP. Uh, question number four. Airplane mode. Humble brag. Parkour. Selfie. Vlog. Ooh. Vlog with a V. Mm-hmm. Uh, airplane mode. Humble brag. Parkour. Selfie. Vlog. Uh, JP, when you're ready. Oh, I'm between like two years. Uh, 2005. Really? That early? Rachel? Yeah. Um, sorry, 2004. Oh, that was the other year I was looking at. Uh-uh. Uh, Stu. Well, now I feel like the oddball. 2012. All right. Humble brag wasn't really much of a thing for a while. But You would humbly say that. If you knew better, you would know that it is 2000. I like this dun dun moment. <laughs> in two. Ooh. What? <gasps> 2002. That's two points to Rachel there. Seriously? But Paris Hilton, some something oh. I think is credited with the first selfie on like a flip uh, phone. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, it was Vlog because I remember like being a huge fan of Zay Frank and Vlog Brothers really, really early. And I knew that the trend had to exist before that. Yeah. Parkour. Parkour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number five. AIDS. Also acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Same, same term. Uh, AIDS. Breakdancing. Email. Party animal, speed dial. That would be AIDS, breakdancing, email, party animal, speed dial. Rachel. 1980. Stu? 1988. JP? That's not right, but... 1986. All right. All in the 80s. This is 1980. Two. Ah. Two points to Rachel there. This is a close game then. <laughs> this is a very close game. <laughs> I was just, I was trying to do it because then when AIDS pandemic really picked up in mid to late 80s, then, um, but it just kind of, just kind of reasoning in my mind, it had to have been around and recognized by scientists for at least a few years earlier before. Right. I was, I was trying to backdate from ACT UP and I I was just trying to think, okay, so ACT UP actually starts saying something. And then about a year later, it starts getting picked up in mainstream media. And I was like trying to figure out where in the eighties that landed. Yeah. Uh, Two more points to Rachel there. 1982. Last question. Number six. And last question of the game. Hoodie left click. McMansion, 20-something, World Wide Web. 20-something actually got printed in the dictionary? (laughs) Hoodie, You'd be amazed what's there. McMansion, 20-something, World Wide Web. Uh, Stu, when you're ready. Uh, 1992. Okay, JP? 94. Rachel? 89. Ooh, this is 1990. So that is two more points to Rachel. Oh, just straight up. Yeah, 1990. Nine Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I said 94, I'm like, ah, oh, that's way too late. Right. What'd you guess, Rachel? I said 1990 because it was evolving off of something else. You said 89. Evolving. Okay. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Excuse me. 1989. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Like it was evolving off of what what government people had been using for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's why I remember like there was a keen shift, but it really took hold once the 90s started. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That is the end of the game. Uh, the scores are as follows. Stu with two points, myself with seven, and a scores of 16 to 18. JP Ooh. winning his first game. Ooh, nice, nice job. Jeez. Nicely that was done. Dude. Like, Rachel, you gave me a run for my money. That was a close game. Good work, Rachel. (laughs) Good work, JP. That's one of my best games I've had in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I like those. Yeah, those are fun. I'm glad they worked out well. I actually, yeah, I, think, I really like that round. Yeah. I hope to make those a staple in like the fourth final rounds when we do them. So, yeah, I am totally not going to steal that for my own nefarious purposes. <laughs> no, go, at go for it. All. Yeah, go for it. We are sharing. Yeah. Well, uh, that is the end of the game. Congrats, everybody. That was fun. Uh, let's get to some picks where uh, each episode, a couple of us give a movie, game, experience, something cool like that we recommend you check out. And uh, JP, if you have a pick, 
Yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, obviously, this is going to come out after I've already run this, but uh, with a local group here, um, it is around spooky season. Uh, so sure. we're actually doing a one-shot in a game system called Dread. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're not familiar with the game system, it's fantastic. Um, if you've played RPGs before, you know that to do stuff, you have to make skill checks. Um, and Dread is very simple and straightforward with its uh, skill check style. Uh, you make the skill check. If you succeed, your character probably does the thing. And if you fail, your character dies. Uh. <laughs> uh, and that is because the joy of Dread is it is literally built to do one-shots because all of the checks are done by drawing bricks out of a Jenga tower. Oh, and nice. so the scenarios themselves lend themselves to be horror-based because basically one wrong move and your character is out of the storyline. Uh, it's a fantastic book. It came back into print, I want to say, last year. And I don't remember the publisher's website, but it's one of my favorite game systems to write scenarios and run games in because you can run anything from as basic as just a straight slasher story to do some really cool atmospheric horror with it. And it's a wonderful game system. If you are not familiar with it, please seek it out on DriveThruRPG because I think you can get a print-on-demand copy there or find a printed copy uh, at your local bookstore because it's a fantastic game system. That, that is so cool. cool. Also, when you said bricks out of a Jenga tower, my brain went to literal bricks and I was like, man, that's a crazy setup. That's like a lot of bricks. That's really dangerous. <laughs> oh yeah, that's intense. <laughs> <laughs> it's not horror if it's not dangerous right <laughs> that's really cool that's like that's awesome. such a brilliant idea yeah is it basically the platform and you can kind of just run whatever with it is it sort of generally try to facilitate like a one hour one shot like a three or four hour like just kind of whatever you want uh, so the scenarios tend to end up running about in like the three to four hour range okay. for it because you typically want like um the tower to fall like two or three times the nice thing about the base game itself is that the book comes with uh five or six scenarios built in and then it actually teaches you how to write your own scenarios uh through uh, the entirety of the book as well. I typically write my own scenario at least once a year, if not twice. And it's one of my absolute favorite independent uh, role-playing systems to play with. And I cannot encourage it to people enough. That's that awesome. Really cool. Uh, nice. Uh, Rachel, you also have a pick. So kind of along the same lines of people and things trying to stay alive or <laughs> trying to die when you're doing your best to keep them alive. Um, I'm recommending an Etsy shop for seeds, plant seeds, which is called, um, they are an Etsy shop called Under the Sun Seeds. I have bought hundreds of seeds from them, um, and our listeners can't see it, but I have this beautiful green vine behind me that's about two months old. And, oh, wow. Um, I'm doing my best to keep it alive. It's doing its best to try and die. Um, <laughs> but... It has, up until this point, it has done a very well, a good time growing. And really, they have excellent prices, like in a massive variety. I mean, they, I think I'm on their SC store now and they have like over 600 different types of seeds. And if I just sort it by the most recent, they have white strawberries, they have star flowers and winter greens and palm trees. But really, they, they do a really wide variety, very good quality, and very good amounts. 
for what you get. Um, and each little seed packet that you get has what kind of plant it is, what kind of light it needs, and really like really basic instructions on how to get it going. Um, which is actually really important because sometimes people just say plant and then it'll grow, which is not the case. Um, sometimes they mean plant, set it in the dark for two weeks, bring it out into bright light for two weeks, let it freeze for two weeks, and then it might think about growing. Is this where so, you got the lotus leaf seeds from? Uh-huh. Okay. So I have also a lotus plant behind me. I've got a few other things. Um, trying to stay at my mic, but um, <laughs> I have I have a whole bunch of plants, so I would highly recommend them. I'll probably buy from ag them again soon, but they have a great quality. They're also extremely responsive. When I was having trouble with my lotuses, because they're extremely temperamental and need very warm water all the time, at least mine do. I don't know if they're supposed to, but mine do. They were very responsive and giving tips and asking what it looked like, asking for pictures because I was having trouble and like saying, okay, well maybe try this, and if this doesn't work, try this and. And whatnot. So th they're a very, very good store, and I highly recommend them. That is so cool. And you, yeah, you're right. Like germination is hard. <laughs> um, so the fact of that, yeah, they have any sort of instructions on it at all is really cool. That's awesome. Trying to keep something or make something live that it's doing that's doing its best to do the opposite. Like this vine <laughs> is an annual that's trying to bloom. And I know that as soon as it's done blooming, it's going to die. And so what it's done is instead of every little nodule at every single leaf, it has a bloom going off and I've just given up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rachel, Rachel has the succulent game and the small plants like she has it figured out. I don't have it. I don't do anything else. I don't leave the house. So that's that's where <laughs> COVID, at least for me, has been somewhat productive in that I've been able to spend a lot more time on my plants. Nice. Totally. Um, what's the name of the shop one more time? It's called Under the Sun Seeds on Etsy. And if you just search that on Google, it's at least for me, it's the first thing that comes up. Nice. And we'll link to that as well. Um, if you have a pick at home and you think the listeners would enjoy it, uh, send it our way or a trivia topic idea or just an email in general uh, at things I got wrong at gmail.com, things I wrong.com, the website. Check out all the past episodes, show notes, and more. Uh, our next episode will come out. Uh, late November and try to get it out before Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, that's that's that for that's that for that. Uh, <laughs> JP, one more time, uh, let everyone know where to find you, Geek Bracket, everything coming up. Yeah, uh, you can find me uh, just by searching the Geek Bracket wherever uh, great podcasts like this one are sold. Uh, you can also follow me at Geek Bracket Pod on Twitter. Uh, I make sure to post there every week whenever the new episode comes up. And like I said, we're gearing up for the Tournament of Champions in December. Now's a great time to catch up on the show. Nice, very cool. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, I can't wait for the next season. Hope to hope to find a way in because that'd be really cool. Hey, we'd love to have y'all on. <laughs> yes, um, do, do expect to see me there. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, thanks, Stu and Rachel here. And uh, until the next time, we'll see you later. Bye.